Good, good to be here with you guys. How are you guys doing? Okay? Great. Good. Good. Yeah. Good. I don't know about you guys. I'm ready. Here we go. Um, hey, I want to just uh, add, add my welcome to you guys if you're joining us this, this morning in one of our venues, whether you're up in the loft or, or down in room 16, uh, or if you're here in the sanctuary, we're glad that you're here. My name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, just excited uh, to be here and to worship with you guys this morning. Um, and I've just been praying this morning that as, I, as I've been prepping through, uh, this, um, through this sermon for this week, that, that God would really speak to me in the midst of this as well. And so I hope that today is encouraging, uh, but also challenging uh, for you. I also want to uh, just say thank you um, to those of you who maybe prayed um, for our staff retreat, it was just a great, great time. I mean, I know that uh, if you're wondering if that's all we did was make potatoes, that it didn't take two days to make potatoes. Um, that was just a tiny piece of what we did, and it was just so good uh, to be replenished and to beat away together. And sometimes it just it, it requires getting out of rhythms. You know, we all know this. this is why vacations exist, even though it's not a vacation, but, but we exit out of rhythms, and it helps us to see clearly what's going on in our lives and our ministries. And so thanks uh, so much uh, for your prayers on uh, that, you know, in just in addition to that, you know, one of the things that I realized, maybe, uh, and maybe this took me too long in life, but, but I realized that in this role, one of the foundational pieces that I, I've come to learn is that at the end of the day, ministry, what happens in church or in and through church is really ultimately all about relationships, right? And that's true. And so it was really important for us just to be able to exist in relationship. And so I just, just thanks for your prayers, and you'll hear more about that later. But uh, uh, just thank you uh, for that. So whenever you have um, a retreat like that and you have two days away, um, that means now that the rest of my week gets condensed into two days. And it becomes stressful, right? So it's good on the forefront, and then you get to the end, you're like, oh, man, I got so much to do. And so in the middle of that stress, though, I got this video uh, from my wife. Check this out. All right, Eden has a question for you about this coming weekend and what we could maybe do. What did you want to ask? Uh, <laughs> what did you want to do this weekend? You just said it. What did you want to do? Go pumpkins. Go find pumpkins. Okay. And maybe some apple cider donuts. Okay. Okay. Eat one. Yeah, but now we don't have them right now. Eat one, too. Yeah, when we go, you could eat one. <laughs> I think we might need to go this weekend if we can squeeze it in. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Miss you. And you can hit pause because it takes like 30 seconds just to try and find the off button there, so... I don't know about you guys, I love this time of year, right? And it's, it's the, all the pumpkins and, and, and all the stuff, which, by the way, we went to I don't know how many places and asked for apple cider donuts, and they looked at us like, what? Have you guys heard of apple cider donuts? Oh, man. I don't, how do I fix this problem? I feel like I, I need to solve this somehow. But when, I th when in the midst of a stressful week, and I got this video and it just was this, yet again, this reminder for me that not just ministry, but at the end of the day, life is just all about relationships. And what matters most in this world are the people that God gives us, right? The people that we, that we care uh, about. And yet so often we find ourselves at, odd, at odds, really, in, in our relationship with God, in our relationship with others, in our relationship with the world. 
And we've been in this series called On the Mount, and we've been looking really at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and today we find ourselves in the last of six different attitudes that Jesus is setting up for his disciples as he's taking this deep dive into the human heart to help us as his disciples, as his followers, learn how to walk in his new kingdom in the way that he is setting the example for us, right? And we've been on the mountain, right? And if you, remember, if you remember, this is an actual picture, and so it's like we're sitting on the mountain there with all of those people, and we're listening to Jesus' words. And so far, we've heard about uh, anger, we've heard about lust, and we've heard about lying. And, and at, every, at every time, it would have shocked his listeners, and hopefully it does us too, right? Because what, what Jesus is doing in, in these moments is just feels so backwards, It feels really difficult and really challenging, and this morning is going to be no different. And so let's jump into the text uh, this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, in verse 38. And here's where it starts. It says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That sounds, let's stop there. That sounds like a pretty gross system. How many of you want to be in that system? right? You knock out my tooth, give me one of yours, right? Like there's this, this, that's the way that this works. See, the Mosaic law, or the Old Testament law, was actually built on this idea of recompense, right? It, it was built on this idea of if you do something to me, then you have to replace that or you need to repay me. So, so just strangely, I'm just putting myself back in this context, okay? So if you kill my cow, you need to give me a cow, Right? If you um, ruin or if you steal some of my crop, you need to replace that. You need to bring that back and replace that for me. Um, if you break my tool, okay, this is just for the sake of illustration, but just imagine this is a full-size pitchfork. Right? If you, wow, I am so sorry if that stabs somebody in the eye. <laughs> I did not anticipate that. Um, There's a whole piece missing in the middle. Imagine that that's your tool, right? If if your tool is broken, by the way, I did think about bringing a whole tool, and I thought I might hurt myself. If that's my tool, then what do you need to do? You need to replace my tool, right? You you bring that back to me, and and you give me something that replaces it. And, And if we're honest, we look at that, and we go, okay, that's a pretty fair system, Right? Things happen in life, and, if, and if, if something breaks, then it's only right, it's only just, it's only fair if you bring that back to me and you give me the same thing. But it's not a perfect system, and here's why I think it, because those things, right, as silly as it is, sometimes something as silly as a tool, right, like, because it's mine and because I own it, like, even though it's just a tool, I might grow attached to it. And so somebody says, like, hey, well, I broke your pitchfork. Here, here's a new one. And you go, ah, it's just, it doesn't, mm, I don't like it as much. It's not the same as my old one. I'm sorry I killed your cow. Here's a new one. Ah, well, I'm glad. That's a nice cow, but he's not as cute. He's just not as cute as, as my cow, right? And so it, even, even though it's a fair system, right, there, there, there's something inside of us sometimes that just, it, it doesn't quite feel right. 
And there can be this thing that happens, right, where sin can be kind of begin to turn over uh, inside of me, uh, and, and we feel maybe potentially the need to get even, right? And so sometimes I think this is so true. I think our sin can morph the idea of recompense, and it can morph this fair system, this just system, and it can morph from recompense into revenge. And all of a sudden, you see, I have this broken tool, right? I have this broken tool, and somebody says, Seth, I broke your tool. Here's a new one, right? You see, here's what recompense turns into revenge looks like. What you did to me, not just are you replacing, what you did to me, now I am going to do to you. You kill my cow, guess what? I'm going to kill your cow. I don't know if that kills a cow or not, but... Just trying to think of something, right? Um, you kill my cow, I kill your cow. If you steal or ruin some of my crops, what do I do? Look at that, I just ruined some of your crops. How does that feel? Here's this tool you gave me. You know what? I'm going to break your tool. And we do this, right? This is the system. And all of a sudden, now, not only, not only is just this an inappropriate and silly behavior at best, now it's bad for the environment. Like, you're just two people, like two grown people looking at two broken tools going, well, that didn't work. That didn't solve anything, right? That's the way that this works. I think this is interesting because we have these tantrums. And before we, like, like turn and, like, look at our kids and be like, yeah, see, Seth's talking about tantrums. Like, this happens with adults. This, it does. It just looks differently. Uh, a couple years ago... And really, I want to put this as far back in my life as possible to make me not look stupid. Um, but a couple of years ago, I was playing, uh, in, in of all things, a church softball league. And, uh, and we were in the gold league, and so we were in like the, the upper tier, which is the most competitive league. And, uh, and we got into the playoffs, and we were fighting in this final game to basically keep our hopes alive. Okay, and we're, and we're playing this game, and, and, uh, and we're doing pretty good at the beginning, and, uh, and we're... And, there's like, I guess several people on our teams were just hitting home runs, and the next thing I hear is the third baseman on the other team grumbling. He goes, well, I, these guys are cheaters. These guys are cheaters. Like, they, they, they're using bad bats. They're, they're using, like, there's no way they can hit this many home runs. And he just keeps going, it keeps going, and it starts to build inside of me. It starts to build inside of me. The game ends, we end up losing, Right? And so not just, we're not just talking about physical loss. Right? There's this, this thing with grown-ups that we have this emotional loss. Right? And I've just lost the game. My, our playoffs are done. And as we're walking through the line to shake hands right, and high fives or whatever it is that you do, right? and you're supposed to congratulate, you're supposed to say, good game, hey, great job. And, and I got to this guy, and as I looked at him, and then I looked past him, I kind of touched his hand, and I said something about like cheating and bats. The line ends, he does a U-turn, comes right to me, and gets in my face, and he just starts, now, I didn't do anything, but in that moment, in that moment, I turned a situation into revenge. You see, I, I wanted to get back at him because I was frustrated with losing. And it happens all, all the time in so many different ways. 
And here's the reality is that, is that when we do this, there is this reality, right? If you break my tool and I break your tool, there's something inside of me that feels better. If we're to be totally honest, there's something inside of me that feels better because it satiates the sin inside of me because that's where it came from. It was motivated and generated by sin. And so when I do that and I perpetuate the issue, I feel better because it's all about sin. And I'm doing what the sin wants me to do. But here's what's so, excuse me, so, so, so important is that just because it makes me feel better doesn't mean it solves anything. It doesn't. In fact, it makes the problem even worse and it ingrains it deeper and deeper and deeper down into our hearts. And so then Jesus enters into the scene, right? So we go back onto the mountain and he said, right, you've heard that it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? So there's this idea of recompense, which we then turn into revenge so often. And Jesus then says in verse 44, he says, though, or excuse me, not 44, 39. He says, but I, remember I, Jesus, creator, savior, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Do not resist the one who is evil. You see, I just to be clear, what Jesus is saying, he's not saying, hey, don't protect yourself. He's not saying, let yourself be vulnerable all the time. What he's saying in this space is do not set yourself up, right? Don't get your, your feet firmly planted and so that you are like, you are in opposition to your enemy, and we get in these defensive postures where we're ready to address these people that we want to get revenge on. And so Jesus enters in, right, and says, hey, don't resist them. And then he gives us these three statements, right, he, and these, these three ifs, okay, check these out. He says, but I say to you, remember, do not resist the one who is evil, but, right, that, that word is so crucial to help us understand this, but if anyone slaps you. If anyone sues you, and if anyone forces you to go one mile. Let's, let's look at these words for a second, okay? That word if, right? That's a conditional word. It's as if Jesus is just saying, hey, here are some, hey guys, disciples, here are just some random hypothetical possibilities that may happen to you in life, right? It's conditional. But then it's that next word, anyone, right? It's generic. It's universal. He doesn't say, hey, uh, if Billy or Timmy or Tina or Jill or Sarah or whoever it is that slaps you. No, he says, if anyone. If anyone slaps you, right? And then you look at those words, slaps and sues and, and forces, right? You look at that and you go, man, these are painful scenarios, these are scenarios that if I am in, and Jesus is talking about, if these things happen, these are hard and difficult, painful experiences for me. But not only that, that last word, you, implies that it's personal. And so people get into our space, and Jesus is going, I get it. Your sin in any of these moments is going to want to fight back. Your sin is going to want to punch back. Your sin is going to want to do that. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Check these out. 
He says, if anyone slaps you, I tell you to turn to him the other also. Turn the other cheek. A slap, um, well, yeah, obviously it's painful, but a slap oftentimes infers or implies inferiority. If, you, if somebody slaps you, it's as if they're taking the moral high ground and they're treating you as just way lesser, right? Revenge makes sense. If someone slaps you, you want to slap back. Next one. If anyone sues you, give him your cloak as well. Now, they would have many different types of garments that they would have worn, right? And in the text it says, if they sue you basically for your shirt, then what you should do is you should give them their cloak. Your cloak is the most expensive garment on your body in that time. And so Jesus is like, hey, if they sue you for your shirt, wrap it up and give them your cloak. And the last one, he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go another mile, or go two miles. Now, in that context, Roman centurions had the right, by law, to mandate a civilian carry their stuff, whatever it is, for up to one mile. So a Roman, if you're in that time, a Roman centurion could say, hey, Seth, uh, I want you to carry my shield, my stinky shoes, my gross vest, all that stuff, and you got to carry it to me to the hotel. I'd be like, oh, gross, right? You could do it for a mile, but then by law, you're no longer required. Jesus says, go another one. Don't just go the one mile, go another mile. Right? And I think it's interesting that in this context, right, Jesus doesn't say, hey, if a Roman centurion forces you to go one mile, no, he actually expands it to everybody. He says, if anybody does this, here's what I want you to do. Instead of going one mile, I want you to go two miles. And that's where we go, oh, man, Jesus, this feels so backwards to the way that I'm wired. It feels so backwards to the way that I'm wired. And, and this is a simple, big idea, but I just want you to hear this this morning. It's so simple. Uh, don't fight back, love back. And you're like, that's silly. I get it. I know. Don't fight back. Just love. Love back. Don't fight back. Love back. You see, what Jesus is doing all throughout these first, all these six attitudes is that he's telling his disciples, he's telling his followers, which includes us, I want you to go beyond the minimum. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Go beyond the minimum. Go beyond just what you're required to do and move towards the maximum, right? Because there is an obligation that sometimes in life, we go, as long as I fulfill my obligation, then I'm good. And Jesus says, that's, that's, that's a good thing, but if you can go the extra mile, it's that extra mile mentality that's generated by compassion and not obligation. He says, go the extra mile. And I just want you to think about this. What all, think about all that could happen in that extra mile as you're walking. Or, or think about what would happen when you give more than what's expected of you. Or think about what, what, what could happen when someone slaps you and instead of slapping back, you, you turn the other cheek. Right? Think about all that would happen because we're, we're heaping burning coals on people's heads. And here's why. Because they expect to get a revengeful response, don't they? When, when, when they do that to us, what they're hoping for and aggravating is we do the same. 
Right? They expect it. Why? Because that's what they would do. And when they, when you don't do what they expect you to do, then they see you differently. And all of a sudden, you become salt and light. Because we're not acting in the way that the world would act. And it's, it could be argued that it's not just you that they're seeing, that it's Jesus that they are seeing. And not always, but, but oftentimes, whether people say it or not, people are drawn to that type of behavior. They might make fun of you for it in the morning, like, oh, you got nothing, no good comebacks? You're not going to do anything about it? They might say that, but behind the scenes, they are drawn to your behavior because at the end of the day, all they're doing is trying to find the answers to problems that they have no solutions for. And they are drawn to that type of behavior because of the brokenness. And Jesus is inviting us into this whole new way to bring about justice. But in, instead of revenge, it's about healing and restoration. It's about generosity and compassion. And that's where we go. I, it feels backwards, but yet I look at this bike and I go, I know that's right. I know that's the way that I'm designed. Now that I have new life in Jesus, that is the way that I am designed to function. So don't fight back, love back. I want to read just these verses from the message just because I think, um, oh, that's too far. Yep. Uh, This one from the message translation. Here's what it says. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Question mark. Right? No. That's the answer. Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues you for the shirt off your back, gift wrap, the best coat, and make a present of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. Live generously. You see, what Jesus is doing is he's inviting us, and can't even mention this earlier, right? Let's be a part of the solution, not a part of of the problem. Don't perpetuate the things that the world is perpetuating, but break the cycle. And that's how we become salt in life, right? By going beyond the minimum and living generously. Don't fight back, love back. And so we ask this question like how? Seth, how in the world is that possible? How can I do that in this life? Well, throughout this series, we've been tracking two different things. And the first thing is that Jesus is ultimately the solution to all of our problems. Right? When it comes to the cross, what he accomplished in his person, his being, and his works on that wooden piece is the only thing that qualifies me to live this way. And that is first and foremost, we have to know that that is true. But he's also the model to follow, right? He is teaching us to relearn how to ride the bike. Now, I've had a couple other people do this. I have not yet proven to you that I am just as bad as everyone else. Nope, start over. Okay, one more try. You always think that you're going to get it. Third time's a charm. No, it's just not true. Oh, see, it's even less. You know what? I give up. The, the, the thing about this bike, right, is this, I can't even turn the wheel right when I just want to set it down. 
this thing is frustrating. It's infuriating, right? It seems like no matter how much you practice, right, it just is still, it's still hard. And yet, so, the, so, so I think that it's true that sometimes we look at Jesus' sayings, we go, I get it that, that what Jesus is saying is true, and that's the way that I am called to live in the world that he has called me to live in. And yet I try it for five minutes or maybe just three tries. I'm like, that's too hard. And I set it aside. I set it aside because it's too hard. Let me ask you this. Like, why is this so important? Why is it so important that we relearn how to ride this bike? I'm going to tell you a story. I read this. This is probably a fictional story, but, but I think it's true. I read this last week about a dad uh, who went to his son. He was about to go on a work trip, right? And so he goes to his son. He kneels down in front of his son, and he looks at him face to face, and he says, Son, while I'm gone, I need someone to, to be the man of the house, to look after your mom. And, and really, what, here's what I, I want you to do what I would do while I'm gone. That's what I want. Now, in his mind as a dad, what he's thinking about is washing the dishes, picking up after himself and for other people, maybe mowing the lawn. I don't, that was a really small kid for mowing the lawn. I don't know. Um, but he really has this in mind. And so he goes on his trip. He comes back, and then he comes home to his wife, and he says, hey, how did our son do? And she goes, you know, it's kind of funny. He goes, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, when dinner was over, he made coffee. Then he sat on the couch for 30 minutes. And then he watched football. <laughs> right? And all of a sudden, we, we, the, 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 idea, this re, this, the idea of what we think that we're passing on with all these great intentions meets reality. And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, man. <laughs> the, way I, the way that I thought that I was teaching my kids and maybe what they're actually learning are two different things. And it's not just for kids, right? It's for all of the people around us. And, and it begs this question for me, as I think about this, like, if I asked Eden that question, what would she do? What would she do? Like, what am I passing down to Eden? Do I pass down that I try something three tries, and as soon as it's too hard, I give up? Jesus says, I want you to relearn how to ride the bike in this kingdom. And it's going to feel backwards. And it's going to take a lot of time but I need you to keep doing, keep trying, keep trying, stay with me as we do this together, right? And this, these next verses show us that in the same way that this story works, we have to watch our Heavenly Father and do the, what He does, right? Watch what He does and do what He does. And Jesus is going to open up the umbrella, and it's going to be so much bigger, actually, than what we've just talked about, right? And you're like, how can it get bigger than somebody personally trying to do me harm? Well, let's check this out, okay? Uh, in these next verses, in verse 43, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Next verse, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I don't know about you, Loving my enemies is probably the most far from natural I feel. Enemies are hard to love in our lives. They really, really are. And Jesus says, I want you to love them and I want you to pray for them. And then he goes on with this purpose clause with these words, so that. He says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Right? Watch 
what he does and do what he does. The word to be in that sentence, that you would be sons, is the word ginomai, which means to become or to be transformed or to come alive. It's this process of saying that as I relearn to ride the bike, I become more and more like my Savior Jesus, more and more like my Father who is in heaven, who, by the way, in these next verses, it says, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He also, right, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. This is who God is, and this is what he does. He loves his enemies. And not just does he love them, he loves them extravagantly. So extravagantly. We'll talk about that in a second. Maybe we don't hate people that way, though. Maybe, maybe we look at that and we go, ah, that's just really not me. But, but might I argue that we're on a slippery slope because so often times in life we choose sides. And when I choose a side too strongly, all of a sudden what I do is I create enemies on the other side. Right? And it's just, it's just as simple as like sports teams. Growing up in Nebraska, um, the, the team that I, I mean, growing up like, and, and, well, not growing up, I guess the older years in Nebraska was against uh, Oklahoma, but when it was my age, it was Nebraska versus Colorado. And, and we hated each other so much that people would slash each other's tires at games. Our, our, our mascots would get into fistfights. Like, how stupid is that? Right? And, and this happens, right, in sports teams, right? And all of a sudden, we can be cheering so hard for our team that what we end up doing is that we're cheering against the other team. And we're on the slippery slope because they can become an enemy, and I can treat them as inferior and as stupid and as silly. They are my enemy. And sometimes this happens, you take that sports whole arena, you just take it into, like, the kids' sports. And sometimes I hear things out of parents' mouths that I go, man, what? happened. You know, yelling at refs, yelling at umpires, whatever it is, right? It happens, and we treat people as inferior, and we create enemies in these places. This is low-hanging fruit, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but what about politics? Now, we're not going to, we're not, I'm not taking a political stance. Salem will not take a political stance in that way. It's not political, but that doesn't mean we won't get political because Jesus gets political. Jesus has his side, his one way, right? And that's the stance that Christians are supposed to take. And yet sometimes we stand on the, on the other side of the other so dogmatically that we look at the other person in the face and it's like, you are stupid for believing what you believe. Instead of listening and processing together about who is Jesus and how does Jesus fit into this scenario. Sometimes it's just riding in my car or driving in my car and I get frustrated with the person in front of me and I get angry and it's as if I've created an enemy until that moment that I pass by and with that, that, that the evil eye. You ever do that? You ever heard that phrase, the evil eye? Right? You drive past and you give them the evil eye and you're like, you're stupid. And then you see their face and they're just like doing life. And you're like, oh gosh, this is a, this is a person that God loves. This is what we're called to do, right? To love people. That's the epitome of Jesus in this space, right? Don't fight back, love back. By the way, being an enemy starts with us because we once were enemies of Christ. And yet he loved us extravagantly. I just want to end with these things. Jesus' life 
is his best commentary on his words. It's that, that statement is no truer than in this statement, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because Jesus left heaven, his rightful throne, to take on flesh, to live incarnationally with his people, and he put himself volitionally, willfully on a cross, loving the very people who put him up there. And in the middle of that, what did he do at the very end? He prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus says in these last verses, like, if you love those who love you, what good does that do you? If you greet those who greet you, what good does that do you? Jesus here demands his followers to reject the basic human impulse to get revenge. And instead, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That statement is provocatively original. And that's, that's a love that excludes no person. Let me ask you these questions. Who are your enemies and are you actively loving and praying for them? I think sometimes just identifies people because we go, ah, they're really not an enemy. But then I look at it, I go, man, I've really treated those like, like an enemy. I need to love them and pray for them. I'm going to work backwards because these are the end of the six, these six attributes, these six things. Where might you be lying to yourself, right? That was this last week. Before that, is lust a driving force in your life? Or lastly, is anger and unforgiveness part of your story? By the way, I don't think it's coincidence that, that the way that Matthew records these is he starts with anger and forgiveness and reconciliation and he ends with love your enemies. They all work perfectly together in that way. Guys, here's the deal. If at the end of the day, life and ministry together alike are about relationships, then these things are incredibly incredibly important. What if, what if coming out of COVID, the church were to experience a revival? What if the church coming out of COVID relearned how to ride the bike? What if, what if, what if that happened? And what if it started with this kind of a confession to ourselves, to each other, to God? That's where it starts. And as the Spirit then works in us and moves us to become salt and light to a world that desperately needs it, to sum up, we just end with this. Don't fight back. Love back. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. There's a peace in me that dreams and hopes that the, the, the larger church across the world coming out of COVID will come alive in a new way, internally and externally, that there will be things happening inside of our churches and inside of our hearts that we go, oh man, like this is the work of the Lord, this is the work of the Spirit, and it would be that, that in that, that we would be compelled as we are filled to the fullness, that we would be compelled to go into the world and to be of salt and, and light to people who desperately need it. And so when they see us and they act upon us, that we would be a people who don't fight back, 
but love back. And when they see that we don't live the way that they do, they are drawn. And Lord, would you give us opportunities? Give us opportunities to share the gospel with ourselves and give us opportunities to share the gospel with others. And at the core of that, Lord, is this deep truth. And as we sing this in this song, Lord, we need you. Amen. Let me pray. Amen.